And good morning to those of you who are watching us online as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to dismiss the kids right away. Jenny, thank you so much for helping us on the, with the vocals. Didn't she do a good job? We just make her do everything, you know. So if the kids, if you can follow Jenny and uh, Joelle is there, and there are volunteers, I think, in number, you're in 11 today, in number 11, and uh, the kids will be over there. This is a nice little little baseball team here of kids. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's what we're looking for. So great to do that. And uh, let me get some, uh, some announcements going here. And uh, here we go. And let's go like this and get this so we can see it and everybody can and we're good to go. Okay. Um, I just want to give you a couple of announcements before we get into uh, the uh, teaching for today. We're going to start a new uh, Zoom Bible study on Wednesday nights. This has really been uh, fun to do. We've done it all through the summer. And even, I think, the late spring we started doing this. And we're going to look at the theme, Fire on the Mountain, uh, displaying God to a broken world. And these are some Old Testament stories where you see the nation of Israel and the call that God had on them to be a light in the darkness and to a broken world. And the teacher is on site there uh, in various places in the Holy Land. It's really excellent stuff. We only do it for one hour. Uh, you will receive a link, uh, that uh, the Zoom link, so that you can join in. I think I know every single person who's in here. I have contact info for everybody. So uh, you will get that. If you do not, then uh, contact me. All of the information to reach me is on our website and Facebook and all of that, okay? Uh, remember, you're, some of you are already doing that. You watch on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Everything is recorded. You can watch it again. You can listen to it again. Uh, today, we are going to, uh, as part of the offering, uh, there's two things that we can give to beyond our usual running of this church. And that is the earthquake uh, in Haiti. And there continues to be lots of problems as a result. We don't really hear about them as much in the news, but uh, some of you have, have donated to that already. And to do that, you can just use an envelope and write on it quake or earthquake or something to distinguish it from our usual giving to our missionaries in Haiti. Uh, in Port-au-Prince, we have workers there. And actually, Erdo is working with the Charbonneaux as they are really on the ground there and uh, been there for almost two decades, I think more than two decades now. So you can give to Haiti, but also uh, Erdo Emergency Relief and Development Overseas. That's a, kind of the humanitarian arm of our movement. Uh, they also have a way to help uh, people Really, they're from Afghanistan now because there are a lot of people. I think the numbers that they're giving to us here are um, 300,000 uh, Afghan refugees are trying to make their way into Turkey. And actually, Turkey is not that friendly right now, but they have to cross through Iran, all the way through Iran to try and make it to Turkey. And we can help them in uh, Turkey. So what Erdo is doing... Uh, through a partner there on the ground in Turkey is to try and meet the immediate needs. I'm just reading from their urgent email that they sent out this week uh, for the very basics of life. These people have left Afghanistan with absolutely nothing. You've seen enough pictures on TV to show you that. And so they're going to try and provide hygiene and sanitation kits and related health uh, instructions to about 2,000 refugees. That's the goal. 
Uh, so this is all the, the basics, you know, diapers, toothbrushes, soap, uh, all those kinds of things to try and get that to them. And uh, so we can, we can help in that endeavor. So if you want to give something, just mark on it, Afghanistan. If you can't spell it, just write Afghan or something. We'll figure it out. And uh, we will get that uh, to Erdo uh, this week. All right. You can do that in person. Uh, we have a volunteer here who's got the basket with the envelopes. We have a volunteer right behind her who has the machine that takes plastic. So these folks will be around. They will serve you. And you can give that way or you can simply give online through our website, okay, uh, at citypointchurch.ca. A little bit of ringing in the house, uh, Mr. Sound Technician. You can correct it as you uh, as you feel led to do so, okay? Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 91 today as part of this uh, series on the Psalms called Cries from the Heart. Uh, but before we get into Psalm 91, I wanted to uh, deal uh, with a question that came out of Psalm 51 that we talked about last week. And uh, you can listen to it if you haven't heard, but uh, Psalm 51 is a very difficult uh, psalm to wrestle through when you understand the backdrop and why David wrote it, which we went into last week. And I wanted to just address a question that came up. Uh, I think young people have this question. It's a very valid question. Uh, but nowadays in the whole world of deconstructionism, where you have people who've grown up in church and uh, then they get a little older and they start leaving the church because they, they start thinking Right? And they start uh, being critical, as they should, about their faith and asking all kinds of questions. Um, and this story that is the backdrop for Psalm 51 is very rough, a very rough, very violent story. It's got all kinds of gruesome stuff in it. And um, the, the question comes uh, as a, a, a prodding into the consequences for David's actions his actions with Bathsheba, his actions with Bathsheba's uh, husband, who he, of course, murdered, and the seemingly the punishment that God drops onto David and all these other people are affected. So in the mind of the questioner, it's sort of like, well, okay, if God wants to deal with David for what he did, that's one thing. But why does it affect his children, you see? And you see his children do terrible things to each other. Then uh, they turn and do terrible things to David as well. Uh, it was bad enough that the child, as a result of the pregnancy, was taken by God. But then you see David's children, and it's kind of his whole family is a mess, and it seems very, very unfair that God would do this. And in the world of deconstructionism of faith, people say, well, who would want to serve a God like that? Who punishes seemingly, uh, seemingly like he's pushing little buttons and he's making the children behave in all these violent and unmentionable ways toward one another. As a result of David's sin, it seems to be very unfair. I don't want to serve a God like this. Uh, he seems to be cruel and vindictive and so on. Please, please, please listen to me on this question. Um, what we see there, the language can trip us up a bit, but what we are essentially seeing there is the consequences for David's actions. He brings into his life and he brings into 
his, his whole way of thinking, this kind of objectification of women. He uses violence, takes this man's life, murders this man, manipulates people, deceives people, and so on. He's the king. He's subject to a higher standard. Yes, we see this in the scripture. Yes, leaders and kings are judged more strictly. Yes, 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 we see all that. But what we see is his children behave in these terrible ways. Now, listen, it's not that God is pushing little buttons and saying, okay, I'm going to make Amnon behave this way. I'm going to make Absalom behave this way. Ha, 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 I've got you, David. No, that's not what's going on. When you bring sin into your home and you're the, the, you're the keeper of the place and you bring that in, the tendency is toward consequence. So example, if you have a family and you have uh, alcoholic, abusive parents, let's say, three, four kids in the house, do you think the chances of some of those kids ending up being abusive and alcoholic is higher or lower because they have parents that are that way? How many of you say higher? You would be right. That's because of consequence. They bring it into the home and it's almost like by osmosis, the kids start picking up this kind of behavior and they start behaving that way unless they're intentionally saying, no, I will not behave this way. So what you see is the visitation of consequence in David's home and his children are behaving this way. It's their choice to do so. It's not like God is forcing them and pressing little magic buttons and saying, ha, 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 I got you, David. Okay, so be very, very careful with that. Some of these passages and stories in the Old Testament, they come across on a, on a surface reading like, wow, this God is, I don't even want to read this stuff. It's making me angry. Okay, just be careful. Keep probing, keep reading, and keep figuring it out. God isn't as mean as he seems uh, in the Old Testament. He's still a God of mercy and love and grace, slow to anger, abounding in love, it says in the Old Testament. Okay, so just, just a little sidebar on that. So Psalm uh, 91 we're going to go into today, um, and this is a, a psalm all about the promises of protection i have called it the promises of protection it's a relatively short psalm it's about uh, what the 15 16 verses uh, and it's just filled with these amazing promises that god will protect you it is a very famous psalm it is often uh, quoted by people uh, it is often used in all kinds of ways i've seen it used almost like a charm uh, where people will have the psalm printed and, you know, maybe they'll hang it on their, on their rear view mirror. Or if they're in the military, they'll, they'll chain it to their, their, uh, their bag or their garment or something, almost as if it's some sort of a good luck charm. It is often uh, used that way. Back in the Middle Ages, I think it was, in Judaism, they would use this psalm in exorcisms when they were dealing with what they... Uh, thought it was a demonic influence, they would read this psalm as if it had some kind of power to ward off demons, okay? It's been interpreted in all kinds of ways, uh, and it is very uh, strong, and it has all of these promises of protection. So we're going to deal with this. It's very relevant today, uh, especially because we live in a time of uh, pandemic. Uh, but just to simplify the thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll read it through uh, this morning, but to simplify it, you've really got three people speaking in this psalm. You have God, you have the writer 
who's I, and you have the believers, which is sort of you. So it starts with uh, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, great title for God, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. In the Hebrew, uh, Shaddai, El Shaddai there. I will say of the Lord, and the Lord there is uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, that's Elohim there, in whom I trust. So this is the I of the psalm. This is the writer, and he's making this declaration. He names God four different ways there, and he's saying, I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my God in whom I trust. This is his declaration that he makes. So that's the I part of the psalm. And then he starts talking about you. So he wants to encourage the people who are hearing, the people who are reading. And he says, surely he will save you from, and he lists a whole bunch of things, the fowler's snare. And from the deadly pestilence, this in today's uh, world, we often think of the present pandemic. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. So encouraging, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Think of the plagues in, uh, in the Exodus story and those plagues that happen. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand may fall at your right hand but it will not come near you. Boy, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. So the author is saying, if you will will uh, uh, call on God and make this declaration, uh, then this is what's going to happen. At least this is how we read it on the surface, right? No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone incredible promises you will tread upon the lion and the cobra you will trample the great lion and the serpent and then it switches to verse 14 because he loves me says the lord so now yahweh is speaking here I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Man, is that ever encouraging? But I can see your brains are rolling right now as I read it, and you're saying, well, hold on here, hold on. 
is this really true? Like, how am I supposed to, it's a question, how am I supposed to interpret this psalm? Does the author, is he naive? Is he foolish? Does he not understand what he's saying here? Because he's making some, some really, really strong promises. But how am I supposed to interpret this? And just take a present example, uh, you know, with a, a pandemic. Does God, like, how, what, do we, what do we do with this? If we're trying to approach the Bible as if it's speaking to us, and if it's the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, then what does this psalm mean? And as I've said to you, it's been interpreted in a myriad of ways, uh, and you could probably bottle them up into three different ways. Uh, the first is, do we take it in a hyper-literal fashion? The second I call the bubble wrap uh, theology or the bubble wrap God. And the last one is, is it false? Is it just, well, you know, obviously this is just meant to enlighten people, encourage people for a few moments, but obviously nobody believes that this is really true because these things doesn't seem to really happen this way in life, and therefore it isn't true. Nice little story in the Bible, but it's not the inspired word of God. It's just a nice piece of poetry. Okay, so you kind of have three options there as you approach this thing and try and figure out what it means. Well, let's go with the hyper-literal approach just, just to start, okay? So uh, this is a fowler's snare. It's an ugly-looking thing, isn't it? And you see this fowl or bird, and he got caught uh, by this fowler, and that in that day was a person who caught birds, either to eat them or to sell them or whatever. And here you see a fowler's snare on the left, and you see a little cage there on the right, and these are traps to catch these birds. Now, if you go with a hyper-literal interpretation, it means you're a bird. And, and God will rescue you from this net. So you've got to watch out for nets and maybe start flapping your wings a little bit. If you go with a hyper-literal interpretation, I mean, hyper-literal interpretation, and you get to passages like, you know, he, he, uh, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Uh, okay, you ever tried that? <laughs> tread upon a lion and a cobra. Okay, am I supposed to take that hyper-literally? You trample on the great lion and the serpent. Uh, no thanks. If I see one of those, I'm going the other way, right? I'm not trampling on them. So what do we do with this hyper-literal interpretation? Uh, here you have a uh, underneath the shadow of his wings. You see on the left, uh, I don't know what kind of bird that is, but he's got two or she's got two little ones under each wing. Do you see that? It's a beautiful, beautiful image there. And this is... This is the, from the first couple of verses. He will, he will hide you under the shadow of his wings. You take refuge. And there on the right, you see the chick and the, the little chick bird is inside, the, taking refuge in the shadow of mom's wings. Does that mean God is a bird? If you take it by a hyper-literal thing, then you say, well, God is a bird and I'm a, God's a big bird and I'm a little bird. So I'm looking for wings from the sky. Well, you know, you have trouble with this kind of hyper-literal approach if you go that way. It seems like these are meant to be images and metaphors to try and describe the nature of God and the character of God in ways that the people 
would understand back then. They knew what a fowler's snare was. They knew what the covering of the bird's wings, probably an eagle, is being referred to there, and the power of the shadow of those majestic wings, how they covered that bird. That's how God, it's an image that's being used there. Um, so we can probably quickly strike off the hyper-literal approach to this psalm and say, well, that's probably not what it means. Uh, but the most common way of interpreting this psalm, believe it or not, is what I call the bubble wrap interpretation. And here you have a guy, and I think this is actually a prototype of a guy, he's all wrapped in bubble. And so he can't be harmed by anything. Looks like a little bit like if you've seen the... Uh, the outrageous pictures coming out of, I think, Washington State of these people who catch these, uh, these murder hornets. Have you seen these pictures? And they wear these huge suits as they go and attack these nests of these hornets. These hornets are like this long. Uh, they're like two inches long, just vicious creatures, and they wear these huge suits. You know, and this is the idea that, well, if you call on God, then you're bubble-wrapped, then you're protected from everything. Nothing bad will happen to you. And so you got to acknowledge God. This is what the psalmist is saying. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. You got to say that. He in whom I trust. And, you know, all, all these things, bad things will happen to other people, especially bad people. But they're not going to happen to you because you have called on God. And therefore, you're wrapped in the bubble. And so if some, the problem with that is, if something bad happens to you, then you look at the psalm and you say, hmm, maybe I didn't call on God correctly. Maybe I didn't pray correctly. Maybe I didn't say the words correctly. It says here, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Maybe I forgot one word of that when I was praying. Maybe I, and you start to question and you start to doubt. I mean, it's, it's hard to go through life uh, with this mentality that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you because you're the believer, you're the Christian, you're the churchgoer. So for you, nothing bad will happen to you, but everybody else who doesn't bad things will happen to them. Is that reality? Not really. And probably you, each one of you could come up on this platform and testify, well, let me tell you, you know, this bad thing happened to me and this bad thing happened to me. And so when you come to this psalm and you try and interpret it, well, what do you do with Mr. Bubble Wrap? Well, the psalm is interesting uh, because if we watch it through the rest of the Bible, it actually is quoted one time and it helps us to interpret it correctly. Uh, it is quoted once uh, in the New Testament. It's not quoted anywhere in the Old Testament and anywhere else in the New Testament. But one time in the New Testament it is quoted. And the way that it's quoted really helps us to understand how to interpret it. It puts it in a whole different spin. Do you know who quoted this psalm? Anybody? Yeah, <laughs> the, the devil quoted this psalm. He's the one who quoted it. And uh, it's quoted uh, by Satan, the devil, whatever title we want to use, uh, in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4 in the famous uh, temptation story of Jesus. You say, wow, the devil quotes the Bible. Indeed, he does. Uh, but how he quotes it and how Jesus interprets it and what happens to Jesus are another story altogether. 
So if you look at the temptation story, the famous story, been depicted so many times because it's so um, dramatic, where you have Jesus after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness, uh, and he fasts for over a month, and it says that he's tempted by the devil. doesn't say how specifically, it only mentions three. Maybe he was tempted more than the three times. Maybe he wasn't. We don't know. But it's not specific enough. And there's three specific ones that are there, though. And one of them involves this passage of Scripture. So the first temptation, he comes to Jesus and he says, boy, you're, you're hungry. And uh, so if you're the son of God, then tell these stones over here out there in the Sinai desert, I would presume, uh, or Judean desert, perhaps, tell these stones to become bread. After all, you're the son of God. So you could do whatever you want. And Jesus answers him back and says, it is written, do not, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting there from the book of Deuteronomy. So then you move to the second temptation. This is the one that we'll look at. The devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If we go and visit the Temple Mount today, the temple's been destroyed, but the retaining wall is still there, and uh, the, you see the highest point uh, in, in those images. That may have been the place, we're not sure, but just to give you an idea of what it looks like now, he takes him and brings him to the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, jump, for it is written, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands and you will not strike your foot against a stone. So this is a very interesting interpretation of the psalm. This is a bubble wrap interpretation. So he's saying, look, you're the son of God. After all, you are wrapped in bubble. If you jump, if anybody, if angels are going to come and rescue anybody, they're going to rescue you. After all, you're the son of God. And this is how we interpret the psalm. It's bubble wrap. So just jump. And the response from Jesus is quite curious. And he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In the United States especially, um, there are some, some bizarre interpretations of this psalm that go into the bubble wrap mentality, and they also take other passages of Scripture, and what they do in some of these churches is they actually bring in uh, snakes into their worship service. I've got one right behind here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And they, and they bring them in, and they start playing with these things, and, you know, rattlesnakes and all of this. I've seen some of the footage out of some, some of these churches. Many of them are in the U.S., but we see this type of thing in South Africa. I've seen videos of uh, people coming to be prayed for, and they spray uh, DEET in their face, and they say, well, you know, we spray this, and it won't hurt you. It'll take away your illness and all of this. And, and you got these people handling these serpents and drinking poison on the stage, and guess what happens to them when they do that? Well, sometimes they get bitten, and sometimes they get very sick, and sometimes they even lose their lives. But they're using the bubble wrap interpretation, which is the same interpretation that Satan throws at Jesus, which Jesus turns around and says, no, 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 no. 
We do not put the Lord our God to the test. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Oh, boring Deuteronomy. Well, Jesus quotes it two times in his battle with uh, the enemy. And then he takes them to um, a high place and he shows them the world and all of the splendor and all of the power. And he says, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The last verse we don't often put together with the way that the psalm is quoted. Last verse says, then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Ah, isn't that what the psalm said would happen? So the psalm says that angels will come and attend to you. So just backing up here because I'm in, in uh, Matthew. Uh, but if you look carefully at the psalm, you see it right there. And you see it fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike a stone. Satan quotes it one way. Jesus experiences it another. So when the enemy is gone, the angels come and attend to Jesus. This puts all kinds of light bulbs on the way that we should interpret the psalm. So angels did attend to Jesus, but after he was tempted toward bubble wrap. So there is a whole movement uh, in, in a Christianity toward this kind of bubble wrap living. It is very, very destructive. And I mentioned it, I mentioned it very often uh, because I see it growing and growing and growing. It's all around the world, this idea, again, that if you're a Christian, bad things should not happen to Christians. And if they are happening to you, you're doing something wrong. Maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe there's a curse on you. Maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe your pastor doesn't have enough faith. There's something wrong because it is incorrect for a Christian, for a church-going, Bible-believing, born-again Christian, uh, especially if you're a tongue speaker because then you really are special and bad things don't happen to people who speak in tongues. Like there, there's a whole theology around this and a whole movement around this. And then when something bad does happen, people start losing their faith. And they say, well, the psalm isn't true. God didn't come through. Um, the Bible's not real. It worked for him, but it didn't work for me. And it's just devastating for people. But that is the bubble wrap theology and mentality. Well, when we think about it, the hyper-literal interpretation doesn't work. The bubble wrap interpretation doesn't work. I don't think the false interpretation works either, where you just say, well, it's not true, and the Bible's not true, and all of that. I don't think that that's a good enough excuse. I think that we need to read this psalm, see how Jesus lived, see how others lived in the Bible, see how others lived in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Intertestament, I mean, wherever, and see what real life is and how we can apply this psalm and what it must have meant. Because the angels did come, but they came after the moments of temptation and 
difficulty and trouble that Jesus experienced. So how do we interpret it? This is not a magical promise for a problem-free life. You can try to push it that way and, you know, print it out and put it on your backpack. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You can read it every morning before you leave for work. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I work in a, in a food bank a couple of days a week and have done that all throughout the pandemic when it was bad at the beginning, when it was not so bad, when it's up and down. Now we're into four waves. I've worked there all the way through. I've been tested once for COVID-19, was negative. Uh, there's hundreds of people who come in and out of that building every week. And I think we've had maybe two or three cases in the staff, and that's it. Uh, but you can read it before you go to work. Some of you, you work in healthcare. You read it before you go out there and you, just, you claim it as a promise of protection. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But when things happen to you that seem to contradict the bubble wrap theology and the bubble wrap interpretation, what do you do? I know pastors who have gotten very sick from this, I'll call it a pestilence, uh, that's the word that's used in Psalm 91. I think you can have some application there. I know pastors who have gotten very sick. I know one pastor in our own uh, section of English churches here in, uh, in Quebec. He's in the greater Montreal area. There was a uh, mini outbreak in his church. He ended up in intensive care. His daughter ended up in intensive care right next to him in the same hospital. They were both out. They didn't even know that they were next to one another in intensive care in the hospital. Thankfully, they have recovered, but they be became very, very sick. I know another couple, uh, a ministry couple, one of the most faith-filled, most godly uh, uh, couples I have ever met. Um, they're senior uh, now, and uh, both of them uh, uh, got COVID-19 at the same time. Both of them were in intensive care. One of them, uh, the wife, she lost her life, and the husband, he came very close to losing his own. These are uh, powerful, powerful, faith-filled people. So you can't, you, you're going to, if you try the bubble wrap thing, you're going to get to a, a wall and you're going to realize, okay, that doesn't work. Uh, so what is it? If it's not a problem-free life that's being promised, what is being promised here? And I think the answer uh, is kind of in the back end of the psalm, um, which seems to uh, talk about God being with you in your time of trouble. I will call, uh, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. So here he's not saying I will bubble wrap, protect him from trouble. I will be with him in trouble. And this is the trouble with the Psalms. When we read the Psalms as these 100% guaranteed, uh, you know, um, uh, promises of God that always come true in every single circumstance, this really isn't the kind of genre that Psalms are. Some people do that with Proverbs also, and they take a proverb and they say, this is what the Bible says. And so they read it this way and they say, this will come true 100% of the time in every situation, in every culture, in every context. That really isn't the genre of Psalms and Proverbs. 
These are cries from the heart that are meant to encourage people, meant to uh, talk about the nature, the character of God, our relationship with him. They were often put to music so that they could be remembered and so on. And so we feel an emotional connection that way. And this is what they're meant to do. So if I was the author back then, a uh, thousand years before Jesus was born, and I was out there in the Middle East in the, in the desert, let's say, and I wrote this psalm, boy, I would be some encouraged. The people who would be reading this would be so encouraged because they were in situations where they had no choice but to walk into danger. They had no choice. They were surrounded, as it were, by the fowler's snare. They were surrounded by the lion and the, and the serpent. They were surrounded by pestilence. They had no choice. They were in it. That's where they were. That's where they lived. So someone has the inspiration to write here and say, Ah, but God is with you. God is with you when you go into that battle. God is with you when you are going to sleep in your tent and you know what's outside that tent. And if you open the, the, the entrance of that tent, there's something to crawl in there. Remember, God is with you when you're in trouble. You see this pestilence and this plague that's happening. I'm talking thousand years before Christ. You see this that's happening here. Remember, God is with you. They were not strangers back then. Uh, to plagues and pestilences, okay? Uh, in, even in Jesus' time, the, the worst uh, possible thing that people could have was a disease that was somewhat like what we would call leprosy. It was the absolute worst thing. And people had to, if they had it, they would isolate themselves and they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever anybody talked to them. Whenever anybody approached them, they were the outcasts of society. And here, what's being written here is, I'll remember when you are surrounded by it, remember that you're not alone. Remember that God is with you. That is a much more sane way to interpret this psalm and apply it to your life because there's a lot that you can be afraid of, isn't there? There's a lot to fear these days. People are afraid of the virus. People are afraid of the vaccine. People are afraid of getting both vaccines. People are afraid that they're going to need a booster vaccine. People are afraid that they're going to lose their job. People are afraid that there's uncertainty everywhere and so much fear about the future. And you pick up a psalm like this, what it's meant to do is to remind you, you don't have to be afraid. You can walk through life and remember that God is with you. You have been through this. You have gone through this struggle. You have walked through this trial. You've been out there in the wilderness. There's fowler snares around you. The serpents and the lions are around you. The armies are around you. These are metaphors and images for trouble. You're in trouble. Somehow, somewhere, you are in trouble trouble. You can interpret it literally if you want. You can interpret it metaphorically if you want. Either way, you come up with the same conclusion. Trouble is in your life. When Jesus was out there being tempted, he was in trouble, and he walked through the trouble, and he, he battled with the enemy in the wilderness and the temptations, and at the end, well, the psalm came true. 
the angels did come and attend to him, uh, but not after his moment of trouble. Look at the life of Jesus. You want to talk about trouble? You want to talk about not being bubble wrapped? The uh, trials and uh, execution of Jesus of Nazareth? One of the, one of the most, uh, even if you're not a Christian, one of the most significant uh, events in history because of the brutality that he went through. People often look and say, why? Why did they do this to this man? Even non-Christians look and they say, it doesn't make any sense. What was he guilty of? Surely God could have come up with another way. No, Jesus wasn't bubble wrapped at all. And this is why we can relate to him. He's like us. And my friends, you're not bubble wrapped. But you've got to remember that God is with you. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at the Apostle Peter. Look at the Apostle John and the various people who we see in the pages of the New Testament. And look at the trouble that these people lived through. Look at the difficulty that they went through. Look at that. They recount it for us and they talk to us about it. And their ultimate conclusion, you can see this in the New Testament, is that God was faithful. God eventually we turn the page. God, eventually, we were delivered. Um, and But even if we're not, we'll still serve him. I think of the, the young boys in the, in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. And what did they say? Even if God does not rescue us, O king, we're not going to bow down to any idol. Even if he doesn't, we will still uh, worship him and him alone. And this is the posture and the attitude that you've got to have. It's to be free from that fear. There's an old saying, uh, there, you, you, when you're afraid, there's nothing to fear except fear itself. And fear is powerful. It is powerful. And when it gets a grip in your life, uh, when you're back there and you're, you're terrified in your tent, you're terrified to go out at night. You know, you have to go out and do whatever errand. You know, you've got hundreds of thousands of people there traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Those people would be scared out of their minds. And God is saying through his word, I'm with you, remember. Remember, I'm with you in trouble. Those of you who work in, in areas, there's some people who work in healthcare here. You're walking into, you don't, you don't even know what. What variant is coming out next? right? Did we ever, did we even know the word variant before this year? Now we're all experts and we know about variants. What variant is coming out next? What's down the corner? What, who's going to catch what? So much uncertainty, which can lead to so much fear. And this psalm is meant to encourage you. You can be free from that even if you go through struggle. Uh, so with that, I'd like uh, the uh, musicians, if they'd come, Sean and Vienna, you guys can just play something in the background. Just want to have a moment of prayer as we finish up uh, today. But I think there are some of you, and um, you've, you've tried all kinds of ways of thinking about God. You've tried to think of God as the bubble wrap God and believe a certain way, and it's going to go well all the time. And maybe that's worked for you for a little while, but you realize it's not true. 
you realize that that theology starts to come crumbling down. And then maybe you've wrestled with, well, maybe it isn't even true at all. And you've floated around and you've tried to think of God in a certain way. But today, I think that God is saying to you, you just need to remember that I'm with you. You just need to remember that in your trouble, I'm right there. I'm not promising you that you won't have it, but I'm promising you that I'll be with you in it. Jesus said what? In this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say in this world, you'll have bubble wrap. He said, it's a hard place. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. This is before he even goes to the cross. What's he saying? He's saying, remember, I'm with you. Remember, there's a whole story that's going to play out that's going to go way beyond the difficulty that you have and the trouble that you have. Paul said our light and momentary troubles are, are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Remember that God is with you. This is what he wants you to know today. Father, I pray for each person in the room and those who are watching online. And Lord, we just want to, uh, to be uh, uh, gripped by the promise of your presence. Uh, Lord, there are, there are some who, who don't even know for sure uh, if you even exist. Maybe they're questioning whether or not you're even real. And I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon their mind and heart and soul your presence and your uh, spirit with them. I pray for others, Lord, and they have walked through difficult times and difficult moments. Even people right here in this room, I know some of their stories, oh God, and they have been through very trying moments, losing loved ones and all kinds of, of uh, difficulty and trouble and trial in their lives. I pray, God, that through all of that, when the dust uh, settles, they would still have their hand in yours oh God they would still be walking with you Lord help us to take a firm grip of the hand of the Savior today I pray Lord that we would we would um, uh, see somewhere down the road here as we live through this this incredible time in history with this pandemic and and uh, none of us in this room have ever seen the likes of it before. And it continues. And it's so stressful and so uh, annoying and so frustrating. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk through and to see the end of the story and the light at the end of the tunnel. And God, to just keep walking for you, Lord, are with us. And we pray together these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, 
Amen and amen. Well, God bless you today. And uh, again, we'll have a couple of volunteers. If they can make their way to the front, you want to give something to Afghanistan or Haiti or just your regular giving, we'll be over there. Remember to pick up your kids. They're in number 11. God bless you, everyone. Have a great Labor Day weekend. I hope you get the day off tomorrow. Enjoy, everyone.